1: Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. Uh, been a little busy lately. Anyways, I'm going to do a uh, quarter three of 2016 in review. Uh, talk a little bit about the new version of Bitcoin Core that's coming out with Segregated Witness. Uh, then going to go through a couple reader questions. One of them seemed to be extremely uh, pertinent. And it's going to naturally lead into the last section where I talk about this uh, this circus that we've had in the United States, about this Molotov cocktail called Trump. Uh, and, you know, just the bigger picture, I think it's important for everybody to really understand the situation that we're in. So, you know, we do get into some of the politics of it, but really I think it's very important for everybody to understand the the circumstances. So even though we get into it, you know, it's really much more focused on like actionable stuff that I think is very important uh, for people to, to, to consider. So anyways, uh, we'll be off a little off topic there, but in the overall big scheme of things, I think it's important. So with the latest release of Bitcoin core uh, segregated witness is a huge deal Um, It's going to help reduce UTXO growth. Well, first, what is segregated witness? We're able to take some of the signature data in the Bitcoin blocks and actually segregate it so that it's not part of the actual block. And that frees up and allows a whole bunch of other stuff to happen. It frees up space, uh, resources, etc. One of the things that reduces UTXO growth, uh, which just makes Bitcoin easier to run full nodes and stuff like that, which which is good. Additionally, we get to clean up transaction mailability that old friend of Mark Karpelis that he blamed the failure of Mt. Gox on how segregated witness does this it allows bitcoin users to put the malleable parts of the transactions into the transaction witness section and by segregating that witness uh, then you don't it's not going to affect the calculation of the transaction id like if there are any changes to the witness so like that's a big deal Uh, It's going to be helpful for a lot of uh, services in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Another thing, we get linear scaling of signature hash ops instead of quadratic scaling. So that just makes it so much easier to scale Bitcoin up in terms of size and do it safely. Uh, The proposals that came out of Gavin Andreessen, like increasing to 100 megabyte blocks and 20 megabyte blocks and all of that, I mean, it, it just really showed how dangerous uh, it could be like doing a hard fork like that. And so this is just a much better way of scaling Bitcoin off. And it's going to lay a foundation to, to do even better scaling, even much more efficient uh, scaling. For example, we're going to get script versioning. And what's going to happen with the script versioning is that things that previously would have required hard forks... With additional opcodes, they're going to be able to perhaps be be used based just on like a script version instead. And so this is just going to allow us to to deploy things as soft forks instead of hard forks, which is just way over way way better for the the network as a whole because of backwards compatibility. Uh, a couple things that that are kind of now coming into onto the horizon are Schnorr signatures, uh, although they're still in concept phase, and also MAST, which are Merkleized Abstract Syntax Trees. So with the Schnorr signatures, one of the really cool things I like about it is the ability to aggregate the signatures together. For example, like I had Rodolfo Novak on from CoinKite, and we talked about some of the edge cases with multi-signature and how you know, really 20 out of 20 is like the largest we can, we can really do with multi-sig. And even in Armory, I think we have like 12 of 12. Well, with these Schnorr signatures, what you're able to do is you're, you're able to aggregate the, the multi-signatures together into just a single signature. So you could have like a thousand of a thousand, and yet there's only one signature that shows up in the signature data. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's really cool. Additionally, I mean, and, and that could lead to all different types of security application and, and other stuff to make Bitcoin more secure, more scalable, more usable. I mean, imagine like uh, crowdfunding where, where you're able to aggregate all these signatures or just for cloud mining uh, out there or Bitcoin mining pools, like, you know, to be able to, to put all of those payouts, but then it just goes to one signature. Like, it's just a lot of really good use cases. Can reduce the costs. You you throw it in the mix with stuff like CoinJoin and Segregated Witness, and now you're 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 decreasing the size of the transactions. You're increasing the the privacy and the fungibility. All of this stuff just makes Bitcoin so much more competitive, such a better use case. Uh, so I, I'm I'm excited about that. Mast these Merkleized abstract abstract syntax trees. So okay. First, like Merkle trees are cryptographic puzzle. We love puzzles in Bitcoin, uh, and you have like Merkle leaves, and you can have Merkle branches, and they all connect to this Merkle trunk, and eventually you get down to a Merkle root. And what that means is you can have all these different data sets, and you're able to compact, You're able to reduce the data set to just a hash and you can't go the other way right so you can have the hash and you can have the a merkle leaf and you can know you can prove that that merkle leaf is included in the in the overall merkle tree but you don't know how many other leaves there are you don't know what the numbers of those leaves what what the values of those of uh, that data is in those particular leaves or branches or trunks or whatever and this is a big deal because if we're able to like uh, have additional new uh, SigOps and and use other and other scripting abilities in the protocol, but we're also able to do it with these with these Merkleized abstract syntax trees. Then, I mean, we could be running like we could have multiple different script possibilities, but then only the script possibility that actually gets executed comes into the blockchain. So you're able to remove or at least make unseeable to, to anybody any of those other potential outcomes from the scripting okay uh, you kind of following me here so that helps increase like the fungibility of the coins because like if there, are say there's 20 different possibilities of how stuff could play out and one particular way plays out only that one particular way is what is able to to be seen in the blockchain and you don't see the other 19 other possible ways it could have played out. So that really like helps with, with some fungibility issues, uh, some other fun stuff like that. Um, I had a question from a reader book suggestion. I'd really recommend Andreas Antonopoulos's mastering Bitcoin. Uh, and yeah, I agree. And, and another part of the question was just about Bitcoin security being fundamental to, uh, its destiny is like just this huge thing that's going to change the world. And I agree, like security is a huge, huge part, and we have it with, uh, with, with Bitcoin. I, uh, Chad had called in on the speak pipe. He, uh, he wanted to say he had left a tip. Thanks, Chad. We appreciate all the tips. Helps with, uh, with the costs of editing and hosting the show and everything. Uh, someone else suggested I interview Chris Odom. Uh, for those who haven't been listening to the podcast very long, uh, I did interview Chris Odom. <laughs> He's actually a good, a good friend of mine. Uh, February twelfth, twenty fifteen, was the show. Uh, I'd recommend going back, listening to it. I try to conduct the interviews in a way that they're evergreen or timeless. So I'd recommend you know downloading even some of the older shows and going through them and listening to them because. Uh, there is some actionable stuff. You're going to pick up stuff. You're going to learn stuff. Everybody seems to really like the high-quality interviews. So there you go. I interviewed Chris Odom already. Next time I see him at a conference, I'll try to herd the cat and, uh, and interview him again. Uh, I have a question from David, so I'm going to play that and then answer it. Hello, Trace.
2: My name is David. First of all, I'd like to congratulate you on an excellent podcast. I've learned quite a lot about Bitcoin and the blockchain just from listening to your various interviews and reading your various articles. So thank you very much for that. Uh, my question is about...
1: Yeah, so just to summarize this question, he, he actually wanted to talk about like a triangular arbitrage between uh, the Brazilian real, the Chinese yuan, and then some of the other currencies like British pounds or euros or dollars. Uh, first... I don't know what's going on with this, like whether there's any software or services that, that kind of automate this. From what I understand, I, I haven't talked to Aaron Zerker at CoinAuto for a while, so I don't really know what he's doing over there because uh, he's trying to do some stuff like this, and I would interviewed him on the podcast. Um, I I would say that there's probably nothing that's going to automate this. There probably is a lot of good opportunity, though, Um because there's nothing automating it. So it really opens up up something for an entrepreneur. However, one of the problems that, that you're going to run into if you try to do stuff like this is you have to have a lot of capital for the time, uh, for the float, right? And this doesn't just apply to arbitraging the different currencies because You know, like Brazil, you'd you have to get approval from the central bank to even make a wire out of the country, and that can take forty five days. And like yuan, yuan's got currency control. I mean, it can be a real problem. But it also applies to other businesses like Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, You know, so you've got this time difference. You kind of have to build all this into the model that you're using for the the price that you charge and the spread and the the fees and all this stuff. Uh, It's there, there's a lot that goes into it. You, you just got to be careful with that and have ample capital to be able to play all that stuff. Um, anyways, I got another question from Anthony. And my answer to Anthony is actually going to be contained mainly uh, in this political section where I talk about the this Molotov cocktail of Donald Trump to the, to the establishment. But anyways, I want to play a little bit of Anthony's uh, voice message first before I get into that.
2: Hey, what's going on, Trace? I just wanted to say thanks for sharing all the great information that you do on your podcast and then on your website. It's really put me in a position now that I don't have to work the whole nine-to-five thing. Now I am attached to the trading markets. I've been taking cryptocurrency trading courses and things like that. But ever since I fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, um, I just kept immersing myself. And the more I learned... You know, it's kind of like the whole housing collapse. Part of me is just thinking, you know, if Bitcoin does soar up in value, that means that the yuan or the one is quickly deflating in value, which we can see in the market. A lot of uh, investment fund hedge hedge funds are shorting it. But a lower risk would be just to invest in Bitcoin, right? Well, I'm um, in the kind of in the middle of trying to figure out a way to. You know, I see how you're going on uh, in the direction of offline hardware and you know the whole how are you going to store this bitcoin because i believe it's going to be worth more than gold very soon uh probably sooner than later but i wanted to ask you uh which direction you would recommend going or if you could talk about that on the podcast because i'm working on a website
1: yeah so this is a really complicated question that he's asking uh especially in the context of like world events the macro picture right um and you know i'm really glad that that he's in a position where he doesn't have to work you know that that's one of the reasons i started talking like i started talking about the blog with the blog with the podcast with all the stuff is really to kind of you know be a A voice of warning you could say because when you see like something bad coming down the pipeline you want to let people know right so that they can they can prepare for for something bad that's coming down the pipeline i mean i'm not the type of person that would just you know stand on the side of the street and like not tell somebody hey there's a car coming you might want to get out of the way and you know i i'd 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 warn I'd, i'd help i wouldn't just stand there and be silent um you know, because I want to be helpful and useful to people and, like, I want to, uh, like, I, I suppose it's just motivated out of love that I have for humanity in general, uh, unlike some people. So, you know, that leads us to, to this election that we're, that we're dealing with. Um, and, you know, part of the reason I've been kind of quiet the last few months is, you know, I've just been really busy, like, taking care of some other stuff and... I recently just got back from Washington, D.C., and down in D.C., you know, I went and I went and toured Mount Vernon, George Washington's estate, and they have a whole bunch of stuff on the Constitutional Revolution, Uh, you know, and like what the people actually really went through and what the soldiers went through. And then we went to Ford's Theater and and I got to see like the Civil War and what Everybody went through with the Civil War. I mean, that thing was bloody and just, it was bad. And, you know, it went down by the Washington Monument where they have the World War II Memorial. And they have all these gold stars up there. There's like 4,068 gold stars. And each gold star represents 100 U.S. soldiers that died in World War II. So like 400,000 soldiers. Okay, what do all these things have in common? You know, and also Franklin Roosevelt's uh, Memorial. I went to that, and one of the you know one of the etchings, one of the quotes that it had was, "This generation has a rendezvous with destiny." Uh, you know Franklin Roosevelt talking about this. Like, what do all of these three events have in common? Well, there's a book that was published back in 1997 called The Fourth Turning. And it was written by a couple of demographers. Demographers are basically statisticians who look at and apply it to the study of demographics. So, you know, population uh, population science, you, you could say. And, th- you know, one of the things that you can't really change that much are demographics. Uh, they, they just are what they are. Uh, there are certain number of people being born, certain number of people dying, like it's happening uh, on just these large scales. And the assertion in this book, The Fourth Turning, is that just like we have a human life that's about 80 years, and just like we have seasons and cycles, uh, we we get these seasons and cycles based on generational uh, turnover. And so you have about 20 years, of spring, and after spring, more or less comes summer, and summer lasts about twenty years, and then you have fall, and fall lasts about twenty years, and then you have winter, and winter lasts about twenty years, and then uh, then you have spring after winter, and you know it, it might be nineteen years, or it might be twenty-one years, or whatever you know, but it but we know that spring and then summer and then fall and then winter and then spring again. And these are these are the cycles that humanity goes through in these larger generational ways. And so uh, in spring is a time of renewal and the institutions are still wet concrete and you're able to mold them. And then they harden during summer and summer is the good times. The good times are rolling and it's just great and everybody's happy, and then there's a fall, there's an unraveling, and then winter uh, becomes a crisis, you know, and and the the crisis always continues to escalate in its intensity. And eventually uh, the crisis resolves itself, and then uh, coming out of the crisis you have spring. And so the reason you get these cycles, uh, as they argue in the book, is that, you know, people who come of age... During summer, they are shaped by entirely different generational factors and culture than people who come of age during a winter crisis period, for example. And because of that, they raise their children a different way, and so their children uh, raise their children a different way too. But those children react to their their macro their macro circumstances in particular ways based on how they were raised. And so you get people who come of age you know, during summer and they raise their kids a certain way, but then they're the ones in power when unravelings or crises start to happen and, and they don't really know how to deal with it because they've never been through a winter before, right? Like they were born during spring, they came of age during the summer, they're in middle age, uh, during during the unraveling then they move into the elderly age before they die well guess what the fourth turning the the first one in american history it happened with the constitutional revolution you had this unraveling that happened 1776 you have the signing of the declaration of independence that kind of kick starts the uh the you know well you 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 had the crisis happening for about 8 years and then they sign the Declaration of Independence, and and that's about halfway through. And then that kickstarts the the Revolutionary War, which only lasts about five years, right? And then and then they resolve it, and uh, and then you move into spring. And another thing that's interesting about these cycles is that when the issues don't get fully resolved uh, at the end of a fourth turning. During the crisis period, it lays the seeds for the crisis uh, for for the next fourth turning, right? And we saw this with the constitutional revolution; it laid the seeds for the civil war. And so, you know, in the eighteen fifty or eighteen fifties, uh, the you know it's eighty years later, seventeen seventy six is now. Uh, 1856, you know, just right on time, 80 years later, they, they, the, the crisis begins. Uh, it escalates until you get to about the backside of the crisis, and then it erupts into the Civil War. Uh, we had 25,000 people die in the Constitutional Revolution. We had about 700,000 die during the Civil War. Which normalized to our population today would be about 12 million people. Just to put it in perspective, it was pretty bloody, bloody civil war, um, but you know America got through it, uh, and and then we had spring and we had we had we had summer and fall again. But what happened with this with the civil war is that uh, the issue was basically over the right of secession, right? Like. could... Like, could people leave the? Could states leave the union or not? Uh, and and how it got resolved was no, they can't. They're forced to stay in the union. Well, that kind of laid the seeds for America's expansionist uh, foreign policy. So then, as you know, going down the going down the path, you you had um, William McKinley who wanted to have a, a very much America first kind of like Trump. Uh, trade type of of foreign policy and he gets assassinated and then Theodore Roosevelt comes in this is during the unraveling right uh, Theodore Roosevelt comes in and then Woodrow Wilson and they set America on this path of foreign uh, adventurism and and, th- and that's during the unraveling period and then uh, after World War II uh, after World War I then you go, you know, about another nine, ten years, and the crisis starts. The winter comes. Like, fall turns into winter. And uh, 1929, you know, you, the Great Depression starts. And it goes for about, you know, it goes for about ten years. the, the This This crisis goes for about ten years. Uh, actually, twelve years. Because 1929, it goes for twelve years. And, and then there's Pearl Harbor. And then uh and it, and it's escalating the whole time right because hitler's over there invading austria invading france like uh just having his way over in europe so it's escalating it's escalating it's escalating and then it it erupts into world war you know and america comes and gets involved in it and it only lasts about 5 years about the same as the constitutional revolution uh, America drops a couple nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and boom—that's the—that's—that's that's it. You know, after Hitler had massed three million troops and invaded Russia, uh, and then got driven out because of the winter and everything, and Russia actually lost close to twenty million people in World War II. So, you know, I was talking about like I visited the World War II memorial, and there's like a gold star. Represented a hundred people that died, hundred U.S. soldiers. Well, multiply every star by about fifty, and uh, you know that's how many people died in Russia with World War II. Some so, some of their own making, right? But that's it, neither here nor there. Um, but what I'm getting at is. So we we see these cycles, you know. The Constitutional revolution laid the seeds for the Civil War with the slavery issue. Civil War laid the seeds with the non secession ability issue. We're forcing you to stay in the Union. Uh, that laid the, that laid the seeds for this expansionist American foreign policy coming out of World War II. The way that that crisis got resolved. Um. In addition to uh, Woodrow Wilson with the creation of the Federal Reserve and going, you know, devaluing the gold and demonetizing it, making it illegal, both Hitler, Stalin, uh, Lenin and Roosevelt and Mussolini all made holding gold illegal. Um, And then coming out of that, we had the United Nations, we had NATO, we had. Uh, League of Nations, we had IMF, we had World Trade Organization, we had uh, Bretton Woods, you know, with the monetary system, all of that came out of World War II. And, and that laid the seeds for the next fourth turning. And the next fourth turning arrived right on time. You know, this fourth turning book, it, it predicted that it would, it would come around 2005 to 2010 uh and it it looks like it got kicked off in 2008 right with the financial crisis and you know and predictably how we've responded to it with the bailouts and with the uh with 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 the foreign policy and with Libya and Syria and Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan and all of this stuff um you know it just keeps unraveling and it just keeps uh, escalating in its tensions, uh, deploying a missile shield in Romania, uh, Russia not liking that, China with freedom of navigation and the Philippines just cutting a deal with China. Uh, you know all of this stuff, it, it just keeps escalating, it keeps escalating. And uh, And so now like so what is this election about? And I think, I think it's actually really – it's really simple, and it boils down to basically just one issue. And the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Joseph Dunford, uh, recently was questioned by Congress and uh, about Syria. And this is – so this is 26 seconds uh, with General Dunford.
2: What about the option of controlling the airspace so that, that- – barrel bombs cannot be dropped well, all, all the options uh, what they, do you think uh, of that option sir uh right now senator for us to control all of the airspace in syria would require us to go to war against syria and russia that's a pretty fundamental decision that certainly i'm not going to make for syria
1: yeah so there we go i mean he boils it down uh, and and he he was testifying you know September 26th and in the second presidential debate and the third presidential debate Hillary Clinton said that she would implement a no-fly zone and Donald Trump said that he would not so it's pretty simple escalate the 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 tension with Russia and go to war with them or not uh, that's really what this election is all about and it and it and it's coming out of the seeds of World War II uh, because that, that issue never, never got resolved with either Russia or China. Uh, like China, for example, uh, the Kuomintang, the U.S. backed the Kuomintang, and then they had to flee to Taiwan. And and so, like, you know, that, that issue never got resolved, kind of like the when the Bolsheviks took over Russia and those people fled – over to America and became the neocons who are now in charge of the U S basically. So we're in the middle of a blood feud, both in Russia, both with Russia and with China where we're in the middle of a blood feud. And that's what general Dunford is talking about is the American people are going to go to the voting booth and they're going to choose whether to go to war with Russia. And that will be if, if with Hillary or whether they're going to de-escalate the situation, and that would be with Trump. And if there's one thing that Trump has, has accomplished with his presidency run, it's that the establishment hates him. And he's shown irrefutably, explicitly, and beyond a shadow of a doubt, that both the U.S. government and the media are just absolutely corrupt to the core uh and it's all on video uh this project veritas if you haven't watched the videos with project veritas i'd highly recommend it um a couple of really high ranking uh democrats recently resigned some of them that were in the videos because there's like 40 hours of videos. Basically, this guy like infiltrated some of the Democratic organizations and took a bunch of like investigative journalist type of uh, video. For example, um, one of the guys that resigned, he had gone to the White House 342 times. He'd met with President Obama 46 times. And this guy uh, took money from the DNC, to pay psychotic protesters to inst- to initiate violence at some of the Trump rallies, and then they coordinated uh, to have the Bernie Sanders supporters blamed for it. I mean, this is crazy stuff, right? Like, Hillary Clinton, Obama, and the DNC are engaging in domestic terrorism and funding it. I mean, it's really crazy stuff. And some of the other videos, I mean, they're going in-depth into the strategy of how they're going to engage in a lot of the voter fraud uh, that they're going to be implementing. And so it's, I mean, this Project Veritas is really crazy. And so Trump has, has pulled back this curtain. He has shown everybody, like, what the deal is. And, you know, another issue is uh, the United States Supreme Court. And I say that because in the previous fourth turning, uh, there's a there's a line in, um, in American legal history called the Constitutional Revolution. And what that is is in 1937, the United States Supreme Court flipped completely and started voting all of FDR's uh, legislation constitutional. And the reason they did that is because Roosevelt uh, won in a landslide and had the backing of both the House and the Senate. And he said, look, Supreme Court, if you don't vote my stuff constitutional, then I'm going to pack the Supreme Court. He was going to increase the size of the Supreme Court, put more justices on there so that they would all vote his stuff constitutional. So he politicized the Supreme Court. Uh, just like Hillary and Trump have politicized the Supreme Court this time around. And so we have the, the short, immediate term issue of going to war with Russia, and then we have the long term issue of the Supreme Court uh, in this election. Because, you know, whoever's going to be president is going to appoint at least one Supreme Court justice, uh, and maybe up to four or five. And they serve for life. And so that's going to have a very, very long-term impact on the direction of America. And, and so that's the big macro picture, right? And, and so getting to, getting to his question, like, you know, what should I do? I've, I've made enough money with Bitcoin. Like, what should I do? I would say, if you haven't read my, my credit contraction book, you need to read it because the last section in there I talked about all this stuff and remember I wrote this book 8 years ago and I talked about a five a five flag theory where you need to plant flags like citizenship in one place residency in another bank accounts in another investments in a third business or how you make money in a different in a in a fifth <laughs> diversifying your geographical and your political risk is kind of the big issue Because if the U.S. goes to war with Russia, this could be crazy. I mean, just with the unraveling that we've had and the initial bumping of shoulders, millions of people have been displaced in Syria. Millions. Right? And this is just, like, it's very tame right now. Everybody knew that war was coming with World War I. Everybody knew it was coming, but they thought it was going to be fought on cavalry and with swords and on horseback and and you know what you know what everybody got? They got mustard gas, they got trenches, they got Gatlin guns, the issues didn't get resolved and they got World War II, and eighty-five million people died. Horrible. This time around, I mean, good gracious, the types of weapons that we have now, chemical, biological, the nuclear and, and hydrogen bombs. Uh, I mean, Russia, last year, they leaked a, a diagram of one of, their, of one of their weapons. They stuck a nuclear warhead on a torpedo. The torpedo can sail around for 5,200 nautical miles until it gets to its designated place and then it blows up the nuclear warhead. It causes a 1,650-foot tsunami that rushes to shore. If this thing got set off on the eastern seaboard and another one got set set off on the western seaboard, you could see a preemptive first strike from Russia take out 60 to 80 million Americans. Just like that. Boom. And that's what one of the, you know one of these other generals talked about before congress he said the next war is going to be extremely fast and highly lethal you know so the, these are things that you know i think are important for people to consider because chances are you know there'll be plenty of voting fraud chances are the establishment will pull out all the all the stops they're going to they're going to try to f- definitely overrule the voice of the voters if it's in favor of trump uh they're not going to go quietly into the night most likely um and and it's going to be and and we're set on a path to war and they're going to put in their establishment candidate that is going to escalate this fourth turning with russia and it, and it might even be intentional because if, if Russia first strikes the U.S. and the U.S. absorbs it, then they'll have the moral authority to form supranational institutions and then counterattack Russia with even more highly developed weapons that Russia might not even be aware of, right? And so it might, it might actually be intentional. To, uh, to provoke Russia into this first strike in this war. And Putin's actually said, you know, the world is being pulled in an irreversible direction and the American media is not talking about it at all. So, you know, these are things that, that I think should be considered is how can you protect yourself and your family uh, against these types of risks, you know, Like, uh, a couple days, I'm going to be on a plane headed to the Latin American Bitcoin conference in Buenos Aires, and I'm going to be down there for quite a few weeks until after the election happens. Um, you know, do you have the, do you have the time flexibility? Do you have the geographical flexibility? Have you set yourself up with your finances and everything that you could, you could go somewhere else? Uh... And, and being relative, uh, not not be a refugee, you know, coming over with with the shoes on your feet, and that's it. Uh, you know, being on being on a boat that gets sunk in the Mediterranean Sea or something. I mean, I mean, that, this could this could get really really dicey really fast. Um, this fourth turning, and and the. The thing that really amazed me as I was touring all these sites down in D.C., you know, whether it's the Constitutional Revolution, the Civil War, World War II, is just how oblivious uh, everybody seemed to be to what was coming. You know, even in 1775, one of the quotes was like, uh, you know, if these disputes with the British continue to increase, uh, we might have some problems. (laughs) It's like they had no idea uh, the the degree or the severity of what was coming down the pipeline uh, with with all three of these fourth turnings. And why why should our fourth turning that's the we're in the middle of right now be any different? And we've had the first eight years of it, and and it's been pretty bad. Well, now we're we're going to get the other 12, eight to twelve years of it, and unfortunately, I think it could very well be. W- even worse than, uh, than what I kind of thought was coming down the pipeline when I wrote my Great Credit Contraction book. It, could, it, could, it might even be even worse, uh, which I hope isn't the case. But it is what it is. It's the larger uh, macro issues that we don't necessarily have control over, and we need to focus on the stuff that we do have control over and so, you know, I just wish everybody the best and and I hope you've made proper preparations and for you and your family and everything. Um so with that, you know, what does anyone have to lose voting for Trump? I mean, yeah, that's got to be the greatest campaign slogan ever, right? Like what do you what do you have to lose voting for me? <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh because we do know that it's war with with Hillary and so then the issue is like you know, do you, do you want to at least try to avert it? Do you, do you want to protest vote? Because even Jill Stein, you know, the ultra-left leaning, she she's warned about how dangerous Hillary's foreign policy is and how it could lead to nuclear confrontation. So so I found that kind of interesting. Like even the ultra-liberals kind of squawking like a stuck duck about this stuff. Um, so anyways, you know, Anthony, I, I hope that guidance uh is helpful, you know, I really hope that that people have their stuff prepared and in order. who knows you know maybe maybe everything will just go back to being nice and calm and tranquil, and we'll be in summer again, like the nineteen sixties right uh but I wouldn't bet on it not until this crisis has been resolved, and if history is any guide based on these generational demographic induced cycles, it could get really crazy, really fast. Anyways, with that, um, ciao for now. You've been listening to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, and tune in later, and we'd love for you to uh, share it with your friends.
0: Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin Guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.